a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michael Wong. The headlines we're tracking at this hour. China's official gauge of manufacturing activity contracts in February as Chinese New Year celebrations impact factories. But service activity accelerates. A new custom zone kicks off between the southern Chinese city of Zhuhai and the Macau Special Administrative Region. We'll explore the implications for the region as well as the opportunities for international businesses. And starting today, it will be easier for tourists from China and Thailand to visit each other's countries as a mutual visa exemption travel deal takes effect. And we begin with China's manufacturing sector, where according to the country's National Bureau of Statistics, China's official manufacturing PMI decreased slightly from 49.2 in January to 49.1 in February. However, a private survey that's conducted by Caixin, well, that survey revealed that factory activity expanded for a fourth straight month with a PMI reading of 50.9 in February. The official PMI survey focuses more on large and state-owned companies, while the Caixin survey emphasizes small and mid-sized firms, many of which are based in the south of China and have a stronger focus on exports. In addition, China's non-manufacturing PMI for February increased to 51.4 from 50.7 in January. That's as travel, tourism and consumption all jumped during the spring festival holiday. Well, China's automobile market experienced a strong year in 2023 with record high production and sales numbers. Notably, new energy vehicles accounted for some 31.6% of market share, and experts anticipate that this figure will rise even further to 40% in 2024, opening up new opportunities for both Chinese and multinational automakers. And for more on the Chinese auto market, CGTN's Lili Lu spoke to Jim Rowan, president and chief executive of Volvo Cars. Take a listen. At the beginning of the Chinese New Year, Volvo Cars celebrated the beginning of construction on the fourth phase of its Asia-Pacific headquarters in Shanghai. The project will feature a battery center and a training center. In 2023, Volvo Cars reported the highest full-year retail sales, revenues and operating profit in its 97-year history, with sales in China growing by 5% year-on-year. President and CEO Jim Rowan stated that 2023 results have helped the company to lay a strong foundation for 2024 and beyond. So we're making some, some large-scale investments for the new generation and the new technologies, uh, and we're making a lot of those investments here in China. I think we have, we have the demand for, for cars. I think especially we're seeing a lot more young people buying cars. The affordability of cars are coming down now as well. And you're also coming into the second cycle, I think, within China, where people who first own the car are now ready to refresh and upgrade and buy a new car, or indeed buy a car, a second car. As the country becomes more affluent, and there's more disposable income, you'll, you'll, see, you'll start to see dual, dual car ownership. You'll start to see people buying cars for their children. One of the things we, we really uh, enjoy about being in China is that we have access to, to really good talent. 
uh, and that helps us very quickly deliver the technologies of the future and then get that into the products which, which brings benefits to our customers. Some industry insiders will call China as the trendsetter in the electric vehicle market. Uh, what would you have to say to that? And yeah, I think when you look at the different parts of the world, certainly China moves at a speed faster than most other countries. The development, the, the innovation pace is faster and you can learn from that and you can harness that, that innovation and really help to push the, the business forward. Uh, electrification uh, is very, very quick. EV has been very quick in China. But then we can couple with that some of the other learnings that we have from other parts of the world. Of course, Volvo's been around for 100 years. We really understand how to build really well-designed, well-built, very, very safe cars. Uh, and you take that together, so you take the EV and the, and the pace and the energy and the innovation of China, and you couple that with the experience and the, uh, and the heritage of Volvo cars, you get a very powerful combination. In 2023, China's auto market achieved record-breaking levels of production and sales, with NEV constituting more than 31% of the market. Within Volvo cars, fully electric vehicles accounted for 16% of its total global sales, in addition to an extensive range of plug-in and mild hybrid models. As 2024 unfolds, the company is poised for another significant year, accelerating its transformation towards becoming a fully electric car manufacturer by 2030. And here in China, we see that development happening very fast. And, and globally, we see it accelerating in different parts of the world. Northern Europe, for example, is accelerating very quickly with charge infrastructure and the acceleration towards electrification. If we look at the United States on the coastal area of the West Coast, it's accelerating very quickly to, uh, to electrification. You have been taking important positions in many tech firms before you joined the automobile industry. So do you think that technology can solve almost all the formidable challenges that are confronting automakers today? Well, I don't know about that. I'm going to try though. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think it positions me as a, as a CEO of an automotive company that really understands technology. Um, because of my background and not just automotive because the automotive industry is changing very very quickly and it's not just about electrification we tend to talk about electrification but the bigger deeper and much more complex change is the move towards core compute technology high computational silicon data and connectivity those are the four areas which are very well used in technology and, and high-tech companies that are now migrating very quickly into automotive. A hundred years ago, steam was the propulsion yeah. technology and then it went to internal combustion and now we're moving from internal combustion to electrification. And no doubt, 20 years time, we'll probably move to something else, but for the time being, electrical propulsion. How does China fit in that picture? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm very encouraged by, by China. And every time I come back, even from the early days when I first started coming to China to today, I'm always encouraged by how it reinvents itself quickly, how it keeps the pace of change, how it keeps the innovation cycle, how it inspires young people, especially to take up subjects like engineering and computer science and so on. So I've, I'm very optimistic that China will continue to develop at a fast pace and will continue to be very successful. And that was our conversation with Jim Rowan, President and Chief Executive of Volvo Cars.
All right, I want to bring it back to China's manufacturing sector and bring in Chu Qiang, a research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University, to parse through China's latest PMI numbers. Uh, Chu Qiang, great to have you on the program. So uh, although China's official gauge of factory activity, that continued to contract in February, but it was above market consensus. People across China, of course, beginning to prepare for and celebrate the Spring Festival from late January through February. I mean, how big is the seasonal factor here in terms of impacting the latest PMI reading? Well, Michael, uh, if you're familiar with the Chinese economic activity and its pattern, you well know uh, this kind of a Spring Festival effect will always be here. It's a regular impact. So when I was a kid, I still remembered, uh, you know, uh, the months before this festival and during this festival, you know, the factories will just give days off to the workers and everybody will stay home to celebrate the uh, holiday. So basically, you will see the orders will be stopped being received and delivered. So all the manufacturing activities will be slowed down. This is a very normal situation in China. But also, uh, I have to remind that another side of the Chinese economy has to rise up. It's the service sector. Usually during the spring festival period of time, there's the shops and the catering business, the hospitality industries, they will, you know, have a very, very, you know, hot moment of the time. So that's a reason why you see the manufacturing data and the PMI has been shrinking. But the non-manufacturing numbers on the PMI is growing very fast. So I think this is a regular seasonal impact. But also, I think uh, for the service sectors, I think this heat will continue to extend to the future for a very long time. Right, so let's expand on that a little bit more. You talked about the service sector because the official non-manufacturing PMI in February, that comprises of the service and the construction sectors. Uh, that showed robust activity, the non-manufacturing PMI, driven by the acceleration in services that you mentioned. Uh, again, maybe expand for us how sustainable is that momentum? Can we keep up this robust pace in the months ahead? Well, yes, I think uh, it's going to be a very long-term and continuous stable trend in the future. Well, people will say, well, uh, the eight-day spring festival holiday is basically you know, putting some fuel on this fire of the service sector growth. But I think this fire has already been started since the beginning of 2023, and it still continues. And uh, I think uh, a lot of people in their mind, uh, service sector is basically about the catering businesses, uh, hotels, restaurants, hospitality, tourism, more likely to be affected by the uh, momentum, uh, momentous you know, uh, factors like Spring Festival. But uh, probably there are other service sectors that are not so familiar with normal consumers, which is, for example, the research and uh, development-oriented services. For example, currently, if we take a look at Chinese economy, instead of exporting only the products, more of the Chinese companies are exporting the engineers, design plans. So this kind of IP trade or research and development trade becomes you know, a very important part of the service sector trade. And also, if you know, financial services is also a very big important sectors in the service sector. For example, internationalization of B, the international trade and financial investment settlement serves as a very big pie in a financial service sector as well. So I think with, you know, uh, China grow into a very large middle income country, usually it will shift years and as a pattern. So service sectors will become a new growth point uh, like the economy of China. And uh, this trend will continue for a very long time and can be re- re- reversible. Mm. And I want to ask you one more question about the manufacturing sector, Chichang. How do you explain the divergence between the official manufacturing PMI that's released by the National Bureau of Statistics and Caixin's private survey? So the official manufacturing PMI, again, showing a contraction in activity, 
uh, last month, but that private survey showed an expansion, and those surveyed companies from Taishin, they said that they see a sustained improvement in market conditions. They see greater new orders. So how do you square that circle? Well, because that's very simple, because these two statistics are targeting at a very different group of targets. Uh, for the Statistical Bureau, their major targets of the survey are focusing on the big enterprises, SOEs, big private enterprises. So, you know, we have a saying in China, the bigger boat have a, a difficult time, more difficult time to turn over when the trend has reversed. But however, Caixin's uh, target has made most, uh, majorly focused on SMEs, uh, small and medium-sized and private sectors for sure. So they are smaller, but more sensitive to the change of the temperature and the sentiment in the market. So I think uh, for the service sectors, it's more likely so. So that's the reason why I think the heat of the economic change are being firstly reflected with the small and medium-sized enterprises, and hence the gauge of the Taishin PMI reflected that more than the Statistics Bureau's numbers. Mm. And if we put them all together, the composite PMI for China in February, that is still in expansion territory. That's if we combine the manufacturing sector with services and construction. The composite PMI um, still above the 50 mark that separates expansion from contraction. Okay, Chu Chiang, a pleasure as always. Chu Chiang Research Fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Thank you. Well, the Guangdong-Macau in-depth cooperation zone in China's Hengqin has taken an important step on Friday to drive greater levels of regional cooperation. For more on this new custom zone between Hengqin and Macau, I want to bring in Professor Benjamin Chiao from the Paris School of Business. Uh, Professor Chiao, thank you for joining us. So what does this new customs operation zone mean for the mega region of China's Greater Bay Area? And just a reminder for our audiences abroad, this is an area with a population around the size of Germany and an economic output that by itself would put it in the world's 10 largest economies. Well, there are three different legal and economic systems in the Bay Area. Today marks an important integration between two of the three systems, Macau and southern part of mainland China through the port of Hanqin. It is another excellent example of how the one country, two systems principle is working well. Since the handover of Macau in 1999, Macau has become a jewel of international collaboration. Foreign firms came and opened casinos in just 10 years. Its revenue already surpassed that of the Las Vegas. Right before the pandemic, Macau's per capita GDP was almost the highest in the whole world. And we see in there more and more international standards and management practices. But the land is so limited in Macau. Now, with uh, the joining of Hanqin, it is a promise of both hard and soft connectivities, especially the new custom operation allows most goods moving to Hanqin tax-free from Macau. The other related policies will effectively facilitate the flow of goods, personnel, capital and information and boost uh, both sides, especially Macau's uh, industry, uh, tourism, education and measures to uh, remove investment income tax will also attract investors. So this Hanqin uh, example, we set a very good case for other Bay Area cities that border cities with a different system. For example, Shenzhen borders Hong Kong. They now already have a collaboration zone in the border which will eventually accommodate 2 million people on the Hong Kong side alone. People will come to the zone to enjoy the best of both worlds, especially in tech and sciences. 
Mm. So in terms of attracting more investors, especially international investors, Professor Chiao, how can multinational companies, how can they better leverage the opportunities from this new custom zone in order to better tap into China's large consumer market? Well, the world is moving backward in free trade, but China is making a very strong statement today to single-sidedly test removing tariffs in Hanqin. It has, this has huge significance because the next big move will be the Hainan province and perhaps gradually to uh, many parts of China in some way. So business owners, I think, should test drive the policy to prepare for what you need when there is a larger scale opening up, especially by that time, uh, what China needs are high quality products. Look, Hanqin is part of the Greater Bay Area. It is already the largest Bay Area in the world in terms of GDP, population, etc. The average per capita GDP is around US dollar 25,000. Uh, mainland cities of Shenzhen, Guangzhou, and Zhuhai are significantly higher. And so, and, and that, that in Hong Kong is double too. So the average living standard in the Bay Area is very high on par with European countries, I think. It's very safe and very good infrastructures. So the customers are expecting more and more. That's why China uh, cannot provide what China market needs. We need French wines, Australian milk, and technologies from the States. I think it's going to be a big feast that welcomes the world to join. Okay. Many thanks for your insights on all of that. Professor Benjamin Chow from the Paris School of Business. Thank you, Professor Chow. Well, for more on the Guangdong Macau in-depth cooperation zone in Hengqin, I want to check in with our Chao Chufeng, who is live for us in uh, Hengqin. Uh, hi there, Chufeng. So what are, I guess, the major anticipated changes in Hengqin's policies regarding the flow of people and foreign trade? Hello, Michael there. I'm now at Hongqing Port. So on midnight this Friday, uh, at this port, a meeting was held uh, announcing, a meeting and a ceremony was held announcing that the Guangdong-Macau in-depth cooperation zone in Hongqing will uh, now adopt a new custom uh, system. And thereafter, uh, a group of people passed through the checkpoints behind me, traveling from Macau into Hongqing. Uh, and they were inspected under new inspection rules after the new system rolled out. Now, various new policies now uh, takes into effect. These policies are aimed at facilitating the flow of goods, people, capitals between Hongqing and Macau. Some of the policies are actually very good news for companies that are operating in Hongqing. Now, I do have a story that goes into more details about these policies. At the stroke of 12 o'clock midnight on Friday, the Guangdong-Macau in-depth corporation zone in Hongqing, adjacent to Macau, officially became a closed customs control area. Ten hours later, the initial batch of goods eligible for tax rebate under the new policies entered Hongqing from other parts of the Chinese mainland. The value of our goods this time is 3,600 U.S. dollars, and we got a tax rebate of around 400 U.S. dollars. The area between Hongqing and Macau is now designated as first-tier zone. And the area between Hongqing and other parts of the Chinese mainland is designated as second-tier zone. Previously, only a limited range of goods entering from the second tier to Hongqing qualified for tax rebates. But now the policy is much more inclusive. New policies have expanded the scope of goods under the second-tier equivalent of the export tax rebate policy. 
Compared to the previous policy, it is no longer limited to goods related to production, and the list of non-refundable goods has also been reduced. A wider variety of goods entering from Macau to Hongqing through the first-tier zone also now benefit from duty-free or bound policies. They only incur taxes when they leave for other parts of the Chinese mainland, and imported components may be exempt from tax when the value added is large enough after being processed within Hongqing. Goods produced by enterprises within the cooperation zone containing imported components and with value-added processing exceeding or equal to a 30% increase of the components are exempt from import duties when entering the mainland through the second tier channel. Introducing closed custom system in Hongqing is a big move for greater level of integration between Hongqing and Macau, but it's just one step, and more are expected to further promote coordinated cooperation and development between these two areas. So actually, essentially, these policies is about saving cost for companies. So companies now can save costs when shipping goods from Chinese mainland, other parts of Chinese mainland. They can also save costs when shipping goods from Macau. There are also new policies、uh, regarding travelers, and some are very good news as well.、Uh, Macau residents. That live, study, and work in Hongqing、um, can now bring specific animal and plant products, such as cooked eggs, cooked meat, and fresh flowers.、Um, there are around 10,000—sorry,、uh, 10,000 sorry, 10, Macau residents now living in Hongqing. This is a very good news for them. Imagine yourself, you know, living、uh, in Macau over the weekends, and then on Monday you can bring your lunchbox to the office in Hongqing. Also, travelers、uh, traveling into Macau for the first time in 15 days can now have a tax-free policy on all the items they bring in,、um, as long as they can. Explain that these items are all for personal use. So yes, essentially,、um, this is a big move for the bigger integration between Hongqing and Macau. Back to you. All right. So it sounds like a new innovative customs area in the south of China. Chu Feng, many thanks for that report. Our Cao Chu Feng for us in Hongqing, reporting on the Guangdong-Macau in-depth cooperation zone. Thank you, Chu Feng. And turning to tourism, as the mutual visa exemption between China and Thailand comes into effect starting today, the passport holders from both countries are now able to enter and stay for up to 30 days without visas. So, for more on that, I want to get to our Chawarat Yongjiranon in Bangkok. Chawarat, so how have the public and the tourism industry over where you are reacted to this、uh, visa-free exemption, and has there been an increase in trip bookings from China? Well, right now I'm at Icon Siam, which is one of the hot spots for tourists, right next to the Jiapria River, and it is very different from what was it was like last year when it was quite dead. Now we have a lot of tourists, and now with the waiver of visa for Chinese tourists to Thailand, things are looking up. Already, the first two months of this year saw a total of six million visitors coming to the country. Out of that,、uh, uh, the majority were from China, and this was a 48 percent. 
trend increase year on year. Um, the reasons are there's more confidence in the security here in Thailand. Also, there are more flights, especially in Chiang Mai, one of the hot uh, cities to go to. And we also have this uh, visa waiver that we have now started today. Uh, the Prime Minister of Thailand, Seta Tuisin, has already inspected international airports here in Thailand, saying that he wants to quicken the pace of the process for immigration so that it's easier. We do have long queues right now. And uh, right now we do see there are popular searches already on both sides for people going to China and people coming from China. Cities that are interesting here in Thailand, uh, according to trip.com, have been uh, Shang, uh, have been Bangkok, Phuket, Chiang Mai, Gotsamui, and Pattaya. And Thais looking to China might be looking to cities such as Shanghai, Chengdu, Harbin, and Beijing. The private sector is very happy. There is hope that there's going to be more activity in the area such as the real estate sector. The condo medium sector has seen a lot of actions coming from foreign purchases, particularly from the Chinese visitors. Education is very much one of the things that we're looking at as Chinese language is one of the biggest topics amongst Thai students. Around 850,000 people are studying Chinese right now because they want to be able to use it in their careers and also within the tourism sector. And lastly, the agricultural sector is going to be increasing their exports to China, hopefully in the areas of durian, uh, mango scenes, and other fruits that are of interest to the Chinese consumer. All in all, this year, we hope that uh, the numbers of visitors from China could reach to around 8 million tourists. And this hopefully will, uh, you know, kind of restart the engine here in Thailand in terms of uh, re uh, renovating or sorry, revigorating the tourism industry and also the Thai economy. And we certainly hope to see more tourists from Thailand visiting China as well. Chao Rabat, thank you so much for that report. Chao Rabat, Yongjiranon for us in Thailand on the visa-free exemption now between China and Thailand. So indeed, China's tourism market has received a boost with the recent announcement of visa-free policies with several countries. And this move is expected to further promote tourism and enhance cultural exchanges between China and these countries. Our reporter Olivia He has more. How do I get a visa? Is it complicated? How long can I stay in China for? There are so many questions when it comes to traveling in China, especially from first-timers. The number one most asked questions from foreigners right now revolves around visas. And let me tell you the good news. Foreigners coming to China will enjoy more convenient measures in 2024. First, foreigners can stay in China longer, and the visa stay time for foreigners in China will be extended to 30 days. Applications for short-term visas, such as business, tourism and family visas, will also be more convenient. Actually, it will give incentives to people to visit China, so it's a good thing. Since the country is opening up, it has become easier for tourists to explore and visit. Now, even if you are just stopping over. So far, China has concluded mutual visa exemption agreements covering different passports with 157 countries, reached agreements for arrangements on simplified visa procedures with 44 countries, and achieved comprehensive mutual visa exemption with 23 countries. Exemption will continue to support the development of tourism in both countries. A lot of Chinese tourists visit Thailand in January this year, and China once again becomes the largest source of foreign tourists in Thailand. Chinese tourists will greatly boost the development of Thailand's tourism industry and the whole economy.
A total of 18,000 people entered China in the first three days after the foreign ministry announced a visa-free entry policy on December 1st. The spokesperson for the Chinese foreign ministry, Wang Wenbin, said the ministry will continue to optimize the policy and further facilitate the flow of people between China and other countries. Olivia He, CGTN, Beijing. And with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time.